Welcome one and all to episode 130 of the original Draft Breakdown Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Cox. With me tonight, my co-host, Justin Higdon. And Justin, we have killed again. That's right. The number one team in the nation goes down. Um, One of the few podcasts that thought this would be a tough matchup for Bama early in the season. But I've got to admit, even I didn't see the Zach Calveda-led Texas A&M Aggies upsetting Alabama, and it's kind of shaken up the entire college football playoff scene. Uh, but Justin, before we get to that, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Uh, it's it's hilarious. We gave Alabama the kiss of death. We, we called the episode Alabama, Georgia, and everybody else, and now Alabama has joined the ranks of everybody else. So we're... Uh, we're splitting up the show a little bit this week. We've got some outside football interests that we've got to deal with. So um, I, I apologize in advance if I sound a little tinny today. I had to move out of my usual recording area into my office. So um, please bear with us this week. We should be back to normal by the time we get to the Patreon show this week. So Seth, big shakeup in the top five. I mean, we talked about the top five shakeup last week. And then kind of went into who we thought was going to get into the playoff and how the playoff picture was going to shape up. And we're not going to go all back into that this week. But we've got, for the first time this year, we've got a new number one team. Yeah, and and we've talked about this, and we're big on not over, you know, thinking things or over, you know, being overreactionary or anything like that. But we've talked about it. We really do believe that. Georgia has been the best team all year. Um, it's just, it's really hard to take Alabama out of the one spot when they're winning. And now that just made it easier. So Georgia being at one is not surprising because quite frankly, they've, they've just been the most complete team all year. And, and amazingly they are doing it without their starting quarterback, JT Daniels, who's supposed to be kind of the steadying force on that offense that allowed their defense to be so dominant. Yeah, and and they have just really been the one team this season that hasn't had a hiccup. And the fact that they're playing so well with their backup quarterback, they're they're doing so well with the run game to go with that dominant defense. And now they just uh, look like they are, you know, the front runners to win certainly their division and that would get them into the sec championship game and i think if they can win we talked about it last week if they can win their division even if they lose the sec championship game they're going to have probably the good enough resume to get into the playoff picture so with each week as long as georgia doesn't uh beat themselves it seems like they're on the track to get to uh the college football playoffs and i maybe i just gave them the the Original draft breakdown on podcast Kiss of Death too. Number two, and and if this ended up being the national championship game, I don't know if ten points would be scored. But Iowa at number two, Iowa's a baffling team because their defense is otherworldly at this point. Um, their offense does enough at times. I think I read a stat today. They're like in the top ten in the nation of number of punts, like number of times they've punted, which is absurd that the second best team in the nation has punted, you know, 
that much. But when you look at it, they are basically so they so much believe in their defense that they're not worried um, about punting because they they know that they're going to get the ball back and and to be honest, I mean, how often are they wrong? I'm going to dig back into my uh, Ohio State football lore and back to the days of Jim Trestle. And, you know, we affectionately as, as fans called it Trestle ball. Like to, to Jim Trestle, punting was a key component of the game. It was a field position game. And when he had, you know, some of the quarterbacks that they had at Ohio State, um, Craig Krenzel comes to mind during a national championship year, and they had some other guys there who weren't pro prospects by any means. And when, when Tressel had offensive players like that, he was more uh, apt to call to play it safe. And you see that with Kirk Ferentz in, in Iowa. Now, Iowa's offense has picked up a little bit over the, in recent weeks, but they weren't very good this past weekend. And really, you have to wonder. I mean, we're, we're ranking Iowa number two. I'm not sure either one of us believes Iowa is really the second best team in the country. And Iowa was trailing in that game until – Penn State starting quarterback Sean Clifford went out with an injury. And, you know, after that, I think they I think they trailed it by 17 or something like that at that point. And they came back to win it, a tight one, with um, Penn State's backup quarterback who just looked completely unprepared. So Iowa defense, you got to give credit where credit's due. I think they had another four interceptions. And um, their corners continue to play. They did lose cornerback Riley Moss to a knee injury. So we don't know how serious that is right now, but uh, their, their corners, their defensive backs, their linebackers are all playing out of their minds and they're creating a ton of turnovers. As long as that continues, they're going to be in every game, but I don't know. I, they might make it through their schedule in the uh, big 10 West, but I'm not sure they're going to come out of the big 10 championship game with a W. So um, they're number two for now because they've put together the best resume besides Georgia and they've, they haven't lost. Number three, that yeah, you, you is, and I might have these flip flops, right? Because we had them flip flop last week, right? So we gave the nod this week, at least I did, to Oklahoma. <laughs> and man, if Caleb Williams is starting, I feel like I feel like that's an accurate call. If Spencer Rattler's starting, um, are they even a top twenty-five team? We're going to talk more about Rattler in a few, but um, you know, I had I gave Oklahoma the edge last week over Cincinnati, and I kept them with the edge over Cincinnati this week, even though they won that nail biter and they benched their starting quarterback in the win over Texas. And you know, Texas they had to come back from a 21 point deficit with their backup quarterback to get that win. Um, again, similar to Iowa, I'm not I'm not a big believer that Oklahoma is going to remain undefeated throughout the uh, regular season. But because they are undefeated at this point and because they, they're winning, albeit sometimes by the skin of their teeth, we're going to put them here. But now, uh, at number four, you know, and this was the dilemma last week. Do we put Oklahoma or Cincinnati at five? Well, now Cincinnati's at four. So if things remain the way they are today, in our estimation, Cincinnati would be a playoff team. And yeah, and I... Th- you know, they I routed think... Temple last week. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, go Sorry. ahead. 
Oh, I was going to say, I think oh, I'm just... part, part of it is that you've got in this ideal of, of these top four teams, that means that, you know, OSU loses a second time, Bama loses a second time in this scenario, obviously, um, because they'll lose in their conference championship games. And then the other undefeated teams uh, that we'll discuss, you know, won't be undefeated by the end of the year. So that's where this comes in as well. I mean, again, we don't get too overreactionary to things. Cincinnati, we had them as a top 10 team coming into the year. Only team we've really punished for their play this year and still being undefeated has been Oklahoma. And now we're like, okay, well, we can't continue to do that, obviously, um, just with how – I don't want to say how bad, but the the losses other teams have incurred. And so at this point, I think these are the top four teams, and they're probably the four playoff teams if the season finishes with those four undefeated. Yeah, I, I mean, that, this is uh, the case where Cincinnati needed to go and just blow out an inferior opponent, and that's what they did last week. They, they, won, uh, they, they won, I think, 52-3 to over Temple. There's no doubt in... Uh, anybody's mind in that game you know they were heavy favorites and they did cover that spread that's what we uh we talked about on last week's show so now they're they're in a position where they can go undefeated and win their conference and it's going to be hard to keep them out <clears throat> because you do have these other one loss teams so that brings us to number five where i think there's a healthy debate here to be had between you know i think the ap poll had bama still at number five but why Bama at five? They just lost to an unranked team. Why not Ohio State at five, who lost to an uh, Oregon team that's still four and one on the year? Or why not Michigan? Michigan's undefeated. I think Michigan should be in the number five spot for now with no losses on the resume. I know that they played a tight one at Nebraska on the road Saturday night, but I think fair is fair. And I don't think it, we're ready to reward these one-loss teams. I think it's quite a gift for the AP to leave Bama in the top five after losing to an unranked team, even though it was on the road in a primetime game. Yeah, and I, I'm with you. I mean, I think that things course correct as they go, and, and that's kind of what we've seen this year. Um, I I mean, I think you and I agree the biggest shocker right now is Iowa uh, out of this group and then Michigan. It, but, you you know, Georgia, Oklahoma, and, and Cincy, we all expected at this point in the season to be undefeated. Um, Oklahoma, like I said, is the only team that we've really punished for their play. And after this week, I mean, we – we think that the Spencer Rattler era could be coming to an end at Oklahoma. And that's that's going to be something interesting to watch because not only did Rattler come into the season as the odds-on favorite to be the Heisman, he was the odds-on favorite to be the number one pick in this class, in the 2022 NFL Draft. Have we, in recent years seen such a fall from grace for one player um i i wonder too if it just speaks to how we as a as a group i mean it wasn't just you and i it was people that were making all the mock drafts we talked about 
on the uh, show back in the early part of the off season when we we talked about those players that were blessed by big draft, and Spencer Rattler was certainly one of them. And now you're looking at a player who he was playing below his capabilities that we saw last season, and now we see that he's had some troubles with some turnovers. Eventually, he was playing so poorly in the first half against Texas that they benched him. And it's the second year in a row that he's been benched during the Texas game. So, you know, Lincoln Riley, he's non-committal right now. He's not saying who's going to be the starting quarterback for Oklahoma's next game. But certainly, we, we talked about a, a couple of weeks ago, the fans were calling for Caleb Williams to come and get into the game back then. And the pressure has just gone, gotten to Rattler to the point he's just not playing up to his capabilities. Now, where is he at as a prospect right now? I think that he's kind of in a position where he, especially if he's no longer the starter, I don't think there's any way he can declare for this year's draft. I mean, he, he could, but I don't think it would be a good idea for him. And uh, he's certainly a player I think he needs to rebuild his draft stock. What does that mean for him? Is he going to be able to do that at Oklahoma? If, if Caleb Williams is named the starter, I think that's going to spell the end of Rattler as a, as a Sooner. I think he might finish the season with his team. He, uh, he tweeted after the game, you know, as a, as a good teammate would, that it was a good team win. But I think you and I both know that he's got a chip on his shoulder. He's going to want to prove himself again as a starter. And if he can't do it at Oklahoma, he's going to go the way so many quarterbacks have in recent years and transfer. Yeah, and we have a good friend, Kyle Posey, who texted us during after he got benched, and he said, I look forward to watching Spencer Rattler complete his career at Florida State. So, um, you know, he said it kind of tongue-in-cheek, but, I mean, that that's the type of move that you make, right? You go somewhere that's got a, a quarterback-favorable system, um, somewhere that you can play for a year and, like you said, kind of rebuild your stock. I don't know if he'll ever be a first-round pick at this point, um, even if he goes somewhere and plays well, unless he goes somewhere and leads the team to a national championship, which, based on how he's played this year, I don't think that's a plausibility. But, again, you know, you, you kind of play everything by ear. The crazy thing to me is you look at this season, Oklahoma's wins, they're undefeated, obviously, but Oklahoma's wins with Rattler as the – main guy 40 to 35 over Tulane 23 16 over Nebraska 16 13 over West Virginia 37 31 over Kansas State and then obviously the 55 48 win and and Rattler really had no part in in that so but every game outside of Western Carolina is within a score like that's baffling to me when you look at the fact that all of these teams they played were unranked. It's not like they were playing Texas or, you know, uh, Oklahoma State or, or you know, even a, an Iowa State that had some high expectations coming into this year. They were, they're playing expected bottom feeders of the Big 12. Right. They were, I mean, starting with the, the two-lane game, that's a game that that's supposed to be a layup for – program like Oklahoma and it was supposed to be a road game but you know we know that the hurricane made that a de facto home game for the Sooners and it still was a tight one you know maybe Tulane was extra motivated but I mean it it, in years past it wouldn't get that close 
So I saw somebody tweet the other day, um, we're, what we're seeing from Rattler at Oklahoma is more like Jalen Hurts at Oklahoma as opposed to Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield at Oklahoma. I don't think that's being fair to Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts came in and took command of the starting job at Oklahoma and, and never looked back. And he had Rattler actually, a highly recruited player, on the bench behind him. So similar situation what Rattler's dealing with here where, you know, the crowd, the fans could have been calling for uh, him to start over Hertz back then, but they weren't because Hertz was playing well enough to hold the job and Hertz certainly offered more of a running threat. So I think what we're looking at here and people were speculating all across Twitter on Saturday as this was all unfolding, you know, where's Rattler going to transfer after this year? So, like you said, look for quarterback-friendly systems and coaches and look for places that might have a job opening. And one of those places that kind of fits is Ole Miss because Ole Miss has Lane Kiffin there, although he's going to be mentioned for some bigger jobs this offseason. And they've got Matt Corral, who's expected to move on to the NFL. And speaking of Corral, he had to uh, bounce back from a – decent but not great performance against Alabama last week was this a good response game in your estimation they beat they went and and, uh, held on and beat Arkansas scored over 50 points I think this was a good response from Corral I think it was what you want to see in a first round quarterback now you and I have had the issue of is Matt Corral quarterback one is Matt Corral a top you know, 10 pick. I don't know how I feel about those things, but I know the quarterback tax. I mean, hell, I came up with the idea behind it. <laughs> Talking the SEC about it. Tax. Uh, yeah. The SEC tax too. And, and when you look at that and when you're going to pay it, the question is, do you see Corral as being a guy that's worth it? His numbers this year are, kind of insane um and that's you know that to me in a year where there's no clear-cut number one um i know he's technically a junior but a guy that's thrown for almost 1500 yards and 12 touchdowns in five games and no interceptions and that's the key i think the no interceptions because that was a question that, that people had you know he had he was so loosey-goosey in those two games last year, five interceptions, six interceptions. Kiffin, to his credit, let Corral keep slinging it, and Corral, to his credit, didn't get discouraged and didn't let those games define him. And here we are, six games into this season, he has no picks. It's phenomenal. And he's averaging over 10 yards per pass attempt, too. So he's not dinking and dunking his way here. He's completing almost 70% of his passes. And the other thing, and I've talked about it, on this show before, um, and probably on the Patreon show, his, his running is unlocked this year. So he's eight rushing touchdowns and uh, over 250 rushing yards. He ran for 94 yards the other day against Arkansas. Arkansas was one of the, that was a team that picked him off six times last year. There was no hint of that very efficient game for Corral uh, this week. So is he a top 10 pick? You know, he's kind of on the small side. I think he's a good athlete. He's got good, uh, easy velocity with his throwing. His accuracy's picked up. He's taking care of the ball. I don't think it, it matters whether we value him, particularly as a top 10 pick. 
but I think if he uh, continues to take care of the, of the ball and continues to lead his team to more victories like we've seen last weekend, then, um, yeah, I think he's going he's gonna to go high. I mean, we saw this with uh, – I'm not comparing them necessarily as prospects, but they are similarly built. We saw it with Zach Wilson last year. So um, – and he, he was playing a much, much softer schedule. So what Corral's doing this year, in my, in my opinion, is very impressive. He's really, um, he's really grown on me as a, as a player and a prospect. Um, and I think right now I see the QB1. It's probably still between Corral and Malik Willis. And I don't know what, you, what people think that says about the quality of this class from top to bottom. But I think you and I have said flat out, this is probably one of the weaker years for quarterback prospects overall in, in recent years, going back to like 2016, which was the Goff-Wentz year. When you look at who has played well, who hasn't played well, you know, there's, there are, there is one big kind of riser in just terms of pure prospect and pure ability. And and that's uh, Arkansas quarterback K.J. Jefferson. He went from a, a relatively unknown to a guy that is intriguing. He's listed at 6'3 and 240 pounds. I, I want to get clarification on that because that's, that's like a H-back tight end build, right? That's, yeah. That's not I've a quarterback. Got, yeah, I've actually got him at 6'3, 245. Oh, the school yeah. website, yeah. And then you've got you've got him completing now nearly sixty three percent of his passes. Before this year, he had thrown seventy two passes combined in his two freshman campaigns, um, completing forty five percent. In his first year, he only threw the ball 31 times, so that's not crazy. And then 48% last year. Again, he only threw the ball 41 times. He had three touchdowns to one interception. This year, he's completing 62.7%. He's just under or just over 1,200 yards, nine touchdowns to three interceptions. But has the growth, and then, and then you look at the rushing ability, 60 carries for 320 yards and five touchdowns, Obviously, that's going to be part of his game. Um, you know, when you look at the growth and you r- look at the style of play, um, is he a guy that probably not this year, but next year, you can see becoming a, a legitimate prospect? So I wrote about him on Patreon this week in uh, the weekly Monday article. You can go check that out it's uh, four bucks a month for the articles and the podcast uh two bucks a month if you just want the bonus episode but uh you know one of the things that was really impressive to me is how because of how big he was to see him move the way he did on some of those runs that he had on saturday he had 20 carries uh, for 85 yards and three touchdowns but he was really putting on some open field moves and shaking some defenders and it was really impressive to see that kind of escapability and, and uh, open field athleticism that he was displaying at that size. And I think he projects pretty well as an athlete because he ran a sub four seven out of high school. You know, he's put on about 20 pounds since then. I think 
So, you know, he's a, maybe 20, 25 pounds since then. So he's, he's bigger now, but I don't think he's lost any of the athleticism that he showed. And so you've got a big guy, he's got a strong arm, and he's got that effortless kind of athleticism for a guy his size. And we saw even in the last play, the last uh, touchdown pass that he threw, where he had to look off his, maybe his first read and then showed some nice touch on the ball. You know, he didn't, he didn't try and fire it in, you know, like some of these big strong arm guys do. So I think you are seeing growth out of this player. I think that I would like to see him maybe wait another year. But what happens, Seth, and as you as you know, and as I'm sure our listeners know, when we get into these quarterback classes that are like kind of, um, you know, the, the black hole of quarterback classes where we're struggling to, to come up with somebody who can go in the first, you know, 10 picks of the draft or – you know, maybe even struggling to find three guys who are first-round picks. A guy like K.J. Jefferson can catch fire, and he's got that prototype size and that, that big arm, and that's going to draw attention. So he's the type of player, if he continues to play at this level, he, he's nine touchdowns, three picks, and as you mentioned, the five rushing touchdowns. So he's not putting up gaudy numbers like some of these other guys. But if he continues to make things close. Arkansas is still ranked. They, they've only dropped a couple games. If he continues to lead his team to more SEC victories, and if he you know, keeps becoming a more accurate passer, as you've kind of diagrammed, each year he's become a little bit more accurate. This year, over 60%. You've got a guy that, that, that uh, profiles as somebody who is going to draw the interest of scouts. And, and that is something to keep an eye on. I, I'm So far, I'm kind of putting him on the back burner, thinking he's going to be around in college in 2022. But things can change quickly. And in such a wide open class, it wouldn't shock me if he starts getting more and more attention. Yeah, and that's the thing is when these guys um, play this well, and as you said, in a class this bad, it ends up creating this idea of, well, I can fill the void. And, and you and I have talked about it in years past. If they're filling the void and they're picked in the top 100 and they get that you know guaranteed money contract, I, can you blame them? I mean, maybe, they're, maybe it's not going to work out as well as it would if they would have stayed a season. But, you know, I know with the, the NILs now that things are a little different, but it just feels like he's that prime candidate to come out probably end up being a top, you know, 60 guy and end up, you know, you being a guy that you're like, oh, you probably need an extra year. But, man, he's played well and he's improved. He's not quite at the level that, like, a Dak Prescott was. But when you go back and look at, you know, 2013 Dak Prescott, 58, you know, percent completion percentage under 2000 yards passing in 11 games and then 10 touchdowns seven interceptions i don't think a lot of people looked at dak as a as a great prospect and the fact that he was obviously a fourth round pick you know didn't really change much of that and so i i think that this is a this is a interesting 
name to watch and kind of follow over the last part of the season. You know, six games in, he really looks like a strong candidate to be kind of your quote unquote most improved player and, you know, biggest riser on the quarterback board. Uh, but how does he, you know, how does he finish? Because they're in the meet now, man. That SEC schedule is going to be no joke for, for Arkansas finishing out this year. Yeah, and that's what it is. It's we're, we're dealing with six games. We don't want to get too hype on the kid yet because, you know, there were people getting hyped about Michael Penix last year with Indiana, and then he unfortunately had an injury, ended his season, and he hasn't been the same guy. K.J. Jefferson right now is emerging, and so to me he's a 2023 prospect. And we'll see it and see how he continues to grow. But we know 2023 might be a little bit more challenging of a class in terms of the competition from his peers. But I don't see why a guy would go out as a redshirt sophomore if he's not going to be a first-round pick. And we've seen a couple guys make that mistake. The NIL money, I think, makes it even more, even, even a better decision to stay and hone your skills at the college level before you make that leap. But that's, I think, the point that we're trying to make at least that I'm trying to make is keep an eye on this guy for next year. And then the other thing I will say is, and and what's going to be brought up if, if he does decide to come out eight for 13 for 65 yards and eight carries for five yards against the best team he's played Georgia. I mean, that's, that's going to be a sticking point for a lot of people. So, you know, if he, if he finishes the season, well, um, you know, they've got Auburn this week, and and then they have Arkansas Pine Bluff, but then they finish out with Mississippi State, LSU, Bama, and Missouri. I mean, they're going to have – rough stretch. Right. So, he, you know, it's a name to know. It's a name to watch. But, yeah, it's, it's also realistic that he's probably not going to be a guy that should come out this year. A guy that definitely should come out this year, and now – is probably going to be talked about as maybe the top wide receiver in this draft class. USC's Drake London, um, almost at 1,000 yards on the season, 832 yards and five touchdowns in six games, which is an absurd number. When you look at what USC has done, they've been a massive disappointment in the Pac-12 this year at 3-3. Three and three, Clay Helton got fired, obviously, uh, they're they're not playing to the level as expected. Keaton Slovis um, has really fallen off. He's a guy that's you know again another guy that should be coming back next year. Uh, Jackson Dart looked spectacular when he came in for Slovis in that Washington State game, and then since then has eh, been okay. Uh, but I don't know if you can say enough positive things about Drake London and his ability. He is. You know he's a big target and a and a. I think the his running numbers are going to be what's interesting for him uh, when he tests. But so far this year, he's basically uncoverable and the only weapon on a team that's really disappointed. Yeah, to clarify on Dart, he's been hurt and he has only played the one game where he he did look really good, um, but he's. Now the question is, do you play him again or do you stash him for next season? Um, Slovis, to our credit, I think, is a guy we, we earmarked as a player who we thought plateaued and who wasn't really going to be um, 
a major factor as, a, as an NFL draft prospect this year. But London, a few weeks ago, we did our top five rankings for the skill positions, and we had London as our wide receiver three. And uh, I, I think it's kind of a, a, a pick-your-flavor situation with the wide receivers, right? So we, some people are going to have Olave as wide receiver one. He is, since being shut out against uh, Tulsa, he's been phenomenal. He scored five touchdowns in three games. And uh, he's really he's leading Ohio State with seven touchdowns. Garrett Wilson has still been Garrett Wilson. So you have two Ohio State receivers there that despite the fact that they have to share the ball and share it with Jackson Smith and Jigba, the sophomore, they are all three on pace to eclipse 1,000 yards this year in a 14-game season, which you, you think you've got the 12 games, the Big Ten Championship, and a bowl game or playoff game, you're going to see at least 14 games out of Ohio State. It'd be interesting if they could have a, a trio of thousand-yard receivers. To me, London is still in that wide receiver three spot, but you're going to have a situation like we had when Mike Evans came out. Some people are going to prefer prefer that big body, contested catch receiver. You know, and when a guy like London is out there, you don't have to gain a ton of separation when you can absolutely. Uh, out muscle and out jump every defensive back that goes against you and that's what he's doing he's catching more than 10 passes a game he's got 64 catches leads the fbs he is a guy with a basketball background you're going to hear that over and over and over again when we get into the draft season i think he's been phenomenal and he's a player who uh i like quite a bit i was a big fan of mike evans and I'm, I'm careful this time because a few weeks ago I kept saying Mike Williams, Mike Williams. Mike Evans is who I'm talking about for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers who played uh, at Texas A&M with Johnny Mansell. That's the kind of player London reminds me of. And I'm not sure he's going to run. He, he should run pretty well. I think he's going to be in that 4-5, mid 4-5 range. As long Evans as he's less than 4-6, I don't think – he should have any issue because, like you said, he's a you know, a Mike Evans, Mike Williams type of receiver. Right, and both of those guys ran in the mid four fives. I think Evans was four five three, and and Williams was more like four five seven or something like that. And then um, you can even go, you know, Allen Robinson ran a four six, so it doesn't have to be perfect. You don't have to have blazing speed when you've got that kind of body control and athleticism and size. One in 6'5", 215. He's a big rebounder type receiver, and he's just gobbling up all the targets that they have out at USC. And, I mean, you look back, they had Amon Ross, St. Brown. No, uh, not to take anything away from that guy, but it's uh, London who is really the best receiver on that team, and he continues to be the best receiver and one of the best in all of college football. So I think... You know, I'm comfortable with where we ranked him in, in that wide receiver three spot. And you could have three first-round receivers or more this year, but the two Ohio State guys and, um, and London seem to be on track to go anywhere from the mid to late first round, maybe early second round at worst. Let's uh, get this hot take out before we get out of here. Uh, young Zach Wilson, uh, he of – the second pick overall fame, uh, he of the BYU fame last year, he of the, well, I mean, 
the hyperbole Olympics fame coming out. And, and you know, one of the things Justin and I try and, and do more than anything is is always try to kind of pump the brakes on players of, like, these unrealistic expectations. I think it's been one of our biggest mottos on this podcast is like, Hey, if you're going to give a, if you're going to give a high end comp, what's your low end comp, right? Like, and, and, uh, poor Zach Wilson really struggling this year. Um, they lost to a terrible Atlanta Falcons team in London. Um, it's a long walk of shame home. Yeah. He had 192 yards passing, Another interception, he's up to nine interceptions on the season, just four touchdowns. Not really all his fault because that is a a bad New York Jets team. Man, that's a bad, bad team. Um, But we're bringing it back a little bit. Justin um, got retweeted out of the blue, and (laughs) he was like, what did I say? And and those are always our favorite, right, when we get – when we get random retweets that we of a tweet that we sent um, nine months ago, and and this was what this conversation was about, <laughs> um, and and it was the absurdity of his comparisons and and your buddy Luke at Lake Effect Bro on on Twitter was bringing up that you know these guys are comparing him to Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers and. and you found the tweets, Pete Thamel, with no look genius of Mahomes, the improv flair of Manziel, and the sneaky athleticism of Utah era Alex Smith. Uh, BYU Zach Wilson has ambushed college football. I mean, yeah, let's just let's a Heisman winner, one of the best quarterbacks uh, of the last decade, and then a first a overall pick. pick. Yeah, and then and then you brought it up, the crown jewel of this all. Daniel Jeremiah, one of the tastemakers, and and I mean, obviously the Wilson hype train was out of control because the Pete Thamel uh, tweet was from October, but this Daniel Jeremiah tweet kind of sent it over the top. His build, his athleticism, and natural natural motion remind me of Aaron Rodgers. I mean, can we put any higher expectations on a kid that only was good one year in college? And it was a crazy uh, year where BYU basically got to make their own schedule because they were one of the first teams that said, they're, as an independent, they were one of the first teams that said, no, we're playing this year. Um, still many leagues at the time were, were canceling their entire season for coronavirus. So uh, BYU patched together a schedule, and it was ended up being a, a schedule that was very friendly to Zach Wilson and company. And uh, they really... I, I think only lost the one game to Coastal Carolina, and so during the regular season. So you've got this this uh, perfect storm where we thought football was going to be taken away for the year, and then it was rescued in partial format, and we had these strange circumstances: games being played in empty stadiums, um, games being canceled every week, and then rescheduled sometimes with different opponents. And just a very, very unusual circumstances surrounding the entire season. And Zach Wilson, early on in October, when still some uh, of the leagues still hadn't started their season, you still hadn't had a Big Ten season or Pac-12, 
Zach Wilson was on TV every week, and tastemakers like uh, Mr. Daniel Jeremiah, like um, Dane Brugler, were enamored with him. And they weren't alone. Uh, and, and in fact, I think many of us uh, considered Zach Wilson to be a good prospect. I know that, that I did. I thought, I thought he was a good prospect. I didn't think he was the top I didn't think he was a top two quarterback in this class. I thought Lawrence and Fields were ahead of him. But I thought Wilson was had played very well and played his way into uh, consideration to be a first-round pick. However, the, the issue comes when you start to make those comparisons. And it reminds me, we talked about this take before, and I know I've, I've tweeted about it, but it, somebody, when David Montgomery was playing running back at Iowa State, somebody put a graphic on the screen on ESPN that said he had feet like, uh, he had athleticism like Saquon Barkley and speed like, uh, you know, I don't know, it was some other star running back, speed like Derrick Henry or Ezekiel Elliott's body control or Barry Sanders' feet. Like, g- give me a break. <laughs> Let these guys, you know, it's it's fine to make stylistic comparisons, but uh, I think you get into trouble when you, you only compare guys to the Hall of Famers. And so if you're, if you're comparing him to Aaron Rodgers and you're not telling me what what the floor is, maybe Alex Smith was the floor when Pete Thamel uh, posted his tweet. But I think you have to be clear when you're talking about these guys that, uh, you know, Wilson was no way, in no way, was he an elite prospect. He was a guy who had one elite statistical season but he's got kind of a slimmer build he wasn't terribly fast as, as a runner he has a good but I don't think great arm I think he left some some hangers over there last season and we talked about it before like how um, highlight the highlight makers on Twitter and on other social media platforms like to spot like those deep throws the big rainbow deep throws and uh, I don't think those are the, the most difficult throws that we want to see quarterbacks make. And, you know, then Wilson's legend grew as he went to his pro day and threw, uh, rolling out to his left, threw across his body back all the way down to the right hash. And that was a throw that every other quarterback prospect tried to duplicate and probably will from here until kingdom come. So very interesting uh, arc for Zach Wilson. And it all started about a year ago when the tastemakers around college football and NFL draft writing and coverage started placing him above a guy in Justin Fields who had done nothing as a collegian to hurt his standing in to hurt his standing in the draft uh, spotlight. And let me tell you this, to be fair, all these rookie quarterbacks have played poorly early in this year, except Davis Mills. <laughs> Yeah, and so, I mean, I just think it's, as we always say, it's absurd to, you know, to really kind of fluff these guys up. Um, it is hilarious, though, to look back on it, though. It really well, it is. It, it does bring me joy. It, it is, and, and you look at it, and it's it's crazy to think that this guy was literally being touted to all pros, Heisman winners, like – it, yeah, it's just it's insane to see that. But when you look at it, you know, I'm not saying he's going to have a bad career, but he's off to a rough start, as you said, and he's got really nowhere to go but up at this point if he wants to make you know a career of it. So 
Anything else before we get out of here, man? Yeah, we've got. Uh, we we normally do some previews. We don't have a great slate this this week. So real quick, Friday, October fifteenth, we have Cal at Oregon. That's really the big game among the early days. But we actually have Tuesday night action. So when we get this posted, you'll have a game against Appalachian State and Louisiana Lafayette Raging Cajuns. Uh, the Cal Oregon game. Oregon is coming in as at home, thirteen and a half point favorites. I like Oregon to win and cover in that one. Uh, how about you? Yeah, I would agree. Um, you know, after after what they've gone through this year, I cannot believe they they lost to Stanford after watching uh, Arizona State just pound on Stanford. But I would expect them to come out and really, you know, kind of again assert their dominance. They they should be the best team in the Pac-12. Yeah, I agree. And uh, last but not least, the Hamlin Pipers dropped a tough one. They dropped a three and two, and they have uh, no rest for the weary. They are on the road against Gustavus Adolphus, a four and one powerhouse that actually scored eighty points, eighty three points to be exact, in their opener this year. Uh, and I believe they scored seventy in another game. So tough one for my Pipers, but go Pipers as always. That'll be it from us. Make sure you uh, check in on our Patreon as we preview the shows or the games this weekend and also give you a look at some of the top risers heading into the 2022 NFL draft this week. Uh, and we're going to talk about uh, our Heisman hopefuls as well. Yeah, so it's a great show. Uh, $2 a month for the bonus episode, $4 a month. You get a little writing as well. Um But as always, we appreciate you guys for listening, and we'll be back later this week to discuss the Heisman, the draft risers, and we'll give you a hot take as well. Have a good night, everybody. We need to do an outro at some point. Just something kind of... What I hear in other shows is where they're like, uh, you know... Uh, subscribe and give us a five star review sign up for our Patreon it's two dollars a month for our bonus episodes four dollars a month for all additional content something like that yeah we should work on something like that that could be it right there a read yeah that's it (laughs) exactly